Good evening, this is Quintus Curtius. Welcome back to the podcast. And in this podcast, we'll be talking about the film Blade Runner 2049. Blade Runner 2049. And I'm going to give you my impressions of the movie and my opinion as to why you should go out and see it, why I think it's worth watching, why I think it's very much worth watching. And uh, I went and saw this movie in the theaters here this past weekend on Saturday and was very, very impressed, very impressed. You know, the original Blade Runner, which came out in 1982, was not originally the cult film that it is today. When it first came out, we should remember that it did not do very well in theaters. And I think there are a lot of reasons for this. I think part of it had to do with marketing, part of it had to do with expectations. In the 80s, people were looking for uplifting, positive, family-based science fiction films like maybe E.T. and um, you know a few of the others whose names I can't remember. But the original Blade Runner was dark. It was an atmospheric, dark, in many ways an art film. And it had Harrison Ford in a role that people really were not prepared to see him in. I think also the film was ineptly marketed. And I also think that some of the stylistic touches could have been thought out a little bit better. There was a really annoying voiceover in the original cut, which made it feel like one of these 1940s or 50s gumshoe movies which, in a sense, I mean, you know, Blade Runner was a, a noir film, a neo-noir film. It was a blend of different genres. It was a blend of noir and science fiction. And no one had really ever done something as ambitious as that before uh, in terms of blending those two genres. And I think some of the compromises maybe went off the rails a little bit. But in any case, the movie was not initially very well received. But over time after the director's cut was released in the 1990s, people came to appreciate it for what it was, which really was a, a science fiction masterpiece, which had uh, a dexterity which enabled it to be both a aging, atmospheric action film. At the same time, it had the capability, capability to explore profound themes about identity, about reality, about dreams, about perception. And these types of themes never lose their interest. They didn't then and they don't now. And I think this really accounts for a lot of Blade Runner's success. You know, I have to be honest, though. Blade Runner, the, the original film, was never really uh, one of my all-time favorites. There are people who have elevated this film into a, an obsession, I think. It's a great film. I enjoy it. I enjoyed it very much. It's a great film, highly recommended, but I can't say it, it's on my top 10 list. And this is no criticism against the movie, but simply just a matter of, of taste. What I did really admire about it was a real sense of style, a sense of atmosphere, strange hyperbolic dialogue by the main characters, and... Uh, as I said before, um, an engagement with philosophical themes that never can lose their interest. What really made me want to see the the uh, remake or the the second installment of the Blade Runner series, the the um, the sequel, 
was the fact that it had been directed by Denis Villeneuve. Denis Villeneuve, who's fast becoming one of my favorite directors, if not right now, maybe, well, maybe among my handful of favorite directors, along with several others. But he's just been hitting it out lately with with his movies. He did, uh, just in the past few years, he's done great films like Sicario, uh, Arrival, um, Prisoners. If you can see these three films, you will see what I mean when I say that he is right up there among the top five or top ten of great directors working in Hollywood now. I mean, really, and that's a very short list. I, I count on that list directors like Michael Mann, uh, Martin Scorsese, and a couple others whose names I can't remember right now, but I could if I had written them down. In any case, why should you see the sequel to Blade Runner? Why should you see the sequel? Well, I'll give you my reasons. I'll give you my reasons. What I really, really liked about the film, first off, was its fidelity, its fidelity to the original, to the spirit of the original film. It was faithful to the spirit of the original film. And what I mean by that is I was bitterly disappointed, for example, a couple years ago when the the third sequel to the Mad Max series by George Miller was released, Mad Max uh, Fury Road, I think it was called. And I really felt like George Miller, the director, had betrayed his audience. The character of Max was relegated to this gimp with a mask on, he turned some female character into the major protagonist in the film. He basically had sold out to the political correctness and to the girl power impulses of, of uh, Hollywood. And I found that unforgivable because I really, really liked The Road Warrior. And to me, this was just, you know, no matter how great the action scenes were, no matter how much money they had spent on it, he did not remain faithful to the characters or to the spirit of the original. And to me, that's just, it's just not, uh, it's just not, not forgivable. But Blade Runner 2049 did. This is a movie of stark and surpassing beauty. The visuals are just incredible and rival anything, maybe even surpass anything found in the original film. You have a washed out landscape of the um, American Southwest, if there even is an America anymore in, in 2049 in the, in the film, who knows? And you see landscapes of just washed out colors contrasted with landscapes filled with, you know, scrap metal and uh, the rotting remnants of, of uh, Las Vegas. And you get the usual sense of squalor in Los Angeles. That's a that's a given. We all knew that was going to be the same. But it's all done in, in such a way that you feel like you really are dealing with a director who's faithful to the original film. And that, that really matters. It, it, it shows respect. It shows respect for the audience. It shows respect for the art form. It shows respect for the original plot. And the atmosphere is good. The second thing, besides visuals, the atmosphere is just incredible. And I really think the director did a great job in, in really getting the atmosphere right. This is a film of real leisurely pace. So many movies now, you go into them, you feel like you're, you're having arrows fly at you. You're having people's characters screaming at you. 
You've got a soundtrack blasting at you. You've got the latest song on the top 40 list that's blasting in your ears. You feel like you're sitting through a two-hour advertisement. You really are. You feel like you're sitting through a two-hour advertisement. You don't get any of that in this film. This feels like a real throwback to the art films of the 19, the science fiction, the, the, the contemplative art films, the, the contemplative science fiction art films of the 1970s and 80s. Um, you know, Solaris, the Russian film Solaris, Stalker. Um, you know, that's, in many ways, it reminded me of Stalker. If you haven't seen that movie, it's that's an old Soviet film. Very, very good. Very underappreciated. But you have to have a stomach uh, for slow pacing. But I do. I don't, I don't mind that. I'm willing to accept a film on its own terms. And I really liked the fact that it took its own time. It was willing to take its own time. The third, the, the, actually the fourth thing, besides fidelity to the original, visuals, atmosphere, the characters. And the, the, the casting here was really done in a, uh, a superlative way. I really liked the fact that you had Ryan Gosling. Ryan Gosling, who is an A-list leading man in his own right. I think he really had the perfect... The only other actor, I think, who could have played his role effectively probably would have been Keanu Reeves. Because you need a taciturn type of actor in this role. Ryan Gosling has kind of elevated taciturnity, if if that is a word, uh, to an art form. All of his movies, he doesn't say much. He's not a talker. He's not a, a, a blatherer. He just kind of lets his own physical presence tell the story. Keanu Reeves does the the same thing. I think if you look at his performance in The Matrix, you'd probably agree with with me on that. And you've got the supporting roles that do very well. Robin Wright plays uh, a a supporting character named Lieutenant Joshi. Um, Now, it's not perfect. There are a couple, I think, missteps here. I think Jared Leto plays a uh, corporate and the evil corporate executive named uh, Neander Wallace, and he's not a bad actor, but I just think he he doesn't really nail the heavy role in, in the right way. He's just a little bit maybe not the right uh, person for that role. Great actor, no criticism against him, but it just doesn't come across as menacing enough. But the choice for his virtual girlfriend, and I'll I'll, I'll talk a little bit about the plot in a few minutes, but. There's a, a girl who plays uh, the main protagonist, uh, Kay. His name is Kay. His, his virtual girlfriend, and her name is Ana de Armas. And apparently she's a Cuban actress who plays this impish uh, virtual girlfriend who inhabits Ryan Gosling's apartment and kind of goes with him when he does his, uh, he makes his rounds. So the characters are, are, uh, are very well chosen. Now, what is the plot? What is the general? Now, I'm not going to reveal too much about the plot because I want to show some respect for the director's intentions here. I think he made it very clear to people who were talking about the movie not to give away too much about the plot. And I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to do that. But I I, I think you do need to know just the very basic bare bones of what it's all about, the, the setting. Essentially, we have... a uh, a similar world to the original film, and you have these these uh, Nexus Eight replicant models who are still being hunted down and retired by Blade Runners, of which Ryan Gosling is one. 
But the twist now is there's a sort of a new generation of replicants. They're getting better and better. And it's almost you get to the point where it's hard to distinguish now. Well, it always was hard, but it's even harder than ever to distinguish between a real human and a replicant. And the general bare bones of the plot is that Ryan Gosling is pursuing replicants as part of his job. And he finds something at the house, at the residence of one of his targets, a target named Sapper Morton, played by Dave Bautista. And he finds something there that makes him begin an investigation. And as he goes through this investigation, he's uh, brought back in, uh, in contact with memories that had been long suppressed. And then we have to decide, are these real memories or are these not real memories? And essentially, his journey, and like all great noir films, it's a journey. It's a journey of the, the main character to some sort of realization. Um, he eventually uh, comes into contact with Harrison Ford, who reprises his role in this film. And that's, again, if I can go back backtrack a little bit, one of the other reasons why the director had such great respect for the original film is he, he brings back many of the original cast members. And I really like that. Edward, even Edward James Olmos, who you may recall appeared in the first film. Uh, he plays Gaff. Um, I'm glad to know he's still out there. I'm glad to know he's still alive and he's still making movies. And yet his role is kept to a minimum. You don't, you don't have, you don't have the sense that they're throwing you these old faces in your, in your face. Even, even Sean Young comes back in kind of a computer-enhanced version of herself. But Harrison Ford also makes an appearance, and he's still the same Harrison Ford that we've known for decades. I'm glad to know he's still around. It's glad to know, good to know that the greats are still out there. But the, again, the, the, the plot really involves the interaction of, of all these characters. And... I'll have to admit, of course, like any movie, it's not perfect. There are a few missteps in here. I felt like there there was a subplot about a uh, an incipient replicant rebellion that may be coming. I guess I guess what they're trying to tell us there is we're probably going to get more of these movies. Maybe um, actress uh, Hayam Abbas plays a replicant rebel leader, apparently, which doesn't get a lot of screen time, but that I think is not does not really belong in the film. Uh, but uh, for the most part, there really aren't any missteps here. But it's the little details that make Blade Runner 2049 enjoyable. The little details. For example, when when Ryan Gosling's character, who's known as Kay, when he gets back from a mission, he's debriefed with this sort of question and answer, free association type questioning, which is uh, hard to explain. It's, it's, it's disturbing in some ways, but it's also very accurate. You can really imagine something like this happening. And there's also this virtual reality girlfriend that Ryan Gosling has in his apartment. This, this computer image, Joy is her name, J-O-I. And uh, apparently she can sort of uh, inhabit real bodies when she wants to. Apparently there's, a, there's some sort of way, the, the, the movie doesn't really explain this, but they call over, there's one scene where they, I guess a love scene where they call over, um, 
uh, a girl to the apartment and uh, the the virtual girlfriend sort of joins with the the real human to provide some kind of a weird surreal futuristic love scene and you know you can you can in some ways imagine things like this happening in the future that's really what what makes this such a great movie is it's it, it takes current trends and extrapolates them but again the visuals really are what make this film really stand out there are scenes in the Vegas desert which rival anything i think uh painted by salvador dali if you've ever seen paintings surreal uh, surrealist paintings by salvador dali you'll know that he was really out there and there are some visuals here that are just really really stunning there's a where he's where Kay is walking through the blasted ruins of of las vegas and there are bees clustering on his hand and he walks past these massive fallen statues you get the you get the the sense of real desolation and of uh, civilizational collapse which in a way it is so in a movie like this you can't really expect too much in terms of profound ideas i know a lot of people are uh, you know claim that the movie really, really explores these super profound ideas Maybe so. You know, I, I think that these ideas have already been explored adequately enough in the first movie. I don't think we really need to do a retread of those. But I'm recommending the film for other reasons. Not, I mean, the, the, the ideas are good. The ideas are profound and certainly are worth uh, considering. But you really should see this movie as an example of perfect cinematic art. Denis Villeneuve is, is a master at his craft. And the budget, apparently, which was apparently around 150 million for this, shows in every frame. It shows in every frame, and it is worth it. So, if you get a chance, see Blade Runner 2049. You won't regret it, and let your imagination soar. That's what I think. Well, that will be all for tonight. I'm Quintus Curtius. Good night.